Two of my favorite pictures painted in Scripture show the humanness of Jesus. The first is one I refer to often in memorial services. Jesus heard that one of his friends is sick and is dying, and he tells the disciples that his friend's sickness won't end in death. But then Lazarus dies. Jesus waits to visit And when he eventually shows up, Lazarus' sisters are are furious with him. They say, hey, if you just would have been here, hey, if you just would have paid attention, hey, if we were just important enough, he wouldn't have died. Where were you? You let us down. Jesus responds, saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And then he goes to Lazarus' grave. When they get there, one of the sisters, Mary, she's overcome with disappointment. She's overcome with despair. And she begins sobbing. And then we read. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus goes on, for for those of us who know what happens here, Jesus goes on to to raise Lazarus from the dead, but that's not the part I want to focus on here this morning. I want to draw our attention to the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We're told that he was deeply moved by the Spirit, that he was disturbed or deeply troubled by it. So troubled, so disturbed that he couldn't help but respond. Saying that that Jesus cried, it's it's just not enough. Saying that Jesus wept, it's just not enough. These were ugly tears. How many of you know what I mean when I say these were ugly tears? These are the ugly tears, the the, the ones where, where a person rocks back and forth uncontrollably in pain. It's what we often feel when something happens, whether it's the loss of a loved one or something else, that cuts so deep that every inch of our being can't help but feel it. We want to scream. We want to cry. And whatever our response is, whether we scream or whether we cry, it just it doesn't feel like it's enough. Again, one of the reasons that I love this picture of Jesus is it's one that I can relate to. I think we've all been there. Just overcome by complete... We see Jesus troubled this way again in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John, they get a, a glimpse of the anxiety of the moment. But they don't quite see it all. Dallas Willard points out that the picture we see of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest isn't one of him cowering in the face of death. He wasn't trying to avoid the cross. 
But the thought of overcoming Satan, the thought of conquering death for all of creation, the weight of that moment brought out that relatable, ah, response. Saying that he was deeply troubled might actually be an understatement. So what does Jesus pray when he's in the garden? We're told that he prays, Father, if there's any other way. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. Show me the other way. But not my will, your will be done. It's a lament of sorts. But not really a complete one. We see it come into completion later as he's hanging on the cross and cries out from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had a response for those moments that shook us or shook him to his core. He didn't ignore them. He didn't minimize them. He had a response for those moments. And we need to have a response for those moments in our own lives as well. He turns to his father during those, those troubling times and we are invited to as well. I'll never forget sitting down for breakfast with a, a, a good friend in one of my favorite diners in San Diego called Harry's, uh, Harry's Coffee Shop. I never forget sitting down with, with him. His name was Brian. His name is Brian. And I was going through an incredibly difficult season in my own life, figuring out how to navigate one of the most painful losses I've ever had to go through. He had been through something similar himself, and I wanted to know if the, the pounding in my chest, if the weight that I felt would ever be lifted. I asked him if I would ever sleep again. And he shared something that had been shared with him years earlier. He said, pretend your life is a book. I've shared this with some of you before. Pretend your life is a book. Right now, you are rereading a difficult chapter over and over and over again. It's what's keeping you up at night. It's what's haunting you at night. You just can't help reading it. You can't put it down. But eventually, you'll be able to turn the page. The plot of your life, it's changed forever. Your life story doesn't look the same because of what happened. But at some point, at some point, you'll be able to turn to the next chapter. You'll be able to sleep again. Now, since that breakfast, there's been quite a few plot changes in my life. And I'm grateful for the words that, that Brian shared. When we go through something difficult, it's good to remember that the page will eventually turn. It is. It's good. But what do we do in the midst of that ugh moment? In, in the midst of those nights where we wake up rereading the same chapter over and over and over again. How do we handle it? Prayers of lament, they give us a tool to get through those times. There's an Anglican priest named Tish Warren who, who wrote a book called Prayer, uh, Prayer in the Night. And it's a reflection on a practice of the 6th century called the Compline. Most connect the Compline prayer to the, the Benedictine tradition, but, but there are plenty of other traditions from, from that era that involve waking up in the middle of the night to gather together for a, a prayer vigil. And, and Warren, she found comfort in the prayer while going through something incredibly painful 
in the middle of going through something incredibly painful. In her chapter on weeping, she, she normalizes lament. She, she normalizes lament, reminding her readers that we all experience pain. She writes this, I've come to see grief as part of the everyday experience of being human in a world that is both good and cruel. In this sense, grief is a constant for us. It is a real and right response to our vulnerability. She, she continues with a warning for what happens when we, we bottle up grief. When we, we just kind of store it up inside and don't do anything with it. Grief, it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just disappear. It's stubborn. And if we don't deal with it, it shows up in our lives in all kinds of destructive ways. While preparing for this morning's sermon, I picked up a book that I, I hadn't read in ages. And uh, it was written by a now-retired professor from Whitworth University named Jerry Sitzer. And, and the title of the book tells you exactly what it's about when God doesn't answer your prayer. He tells the story of a, a brutal car crash that he was involved with with his family, where he lost his, his daughter, his wife, and his mother all in the same car crash. And the book is his response to the feeling that God didn't show up as he prayed for his young daughter who was on life support. He writes that the reason we lament is so that we can vent our emotion to heaven, so that everything we spew, I love that he uses that word, bitterness, hatred, revenge, that it doesn't harm anyone else, he calls a lament an assault on heaven. I've mentioned a few times that the Psalms were, were Jesus' prayer book. They're, they're Jesus' prayer book. It's what he, he used as a guide. And, and they give us language to express what we're feeling when we don't have the words to express it ourselves. So whether it's confusion, because God seems distant, despair, because God didn't show up when you needed him, Anger or frustration, because it seems like the weight of the world is, is resting on your shoulders and you have nowhere to turn. The Psalms give voice to a wide range of our experience. It's why John Calvin referred to them as the anatomy to all parts of the soul. At the beginning of our service, I mentioned that the entire reason that we're in this series is to give us tools to connect with God as we, we journey through Lent. And learning to lament is an important part of developing a healthy prayer life. It's essential. It's essential to developing a healthy prayer life. In the Old Testament, we read about people lamenting by, by covering themselves in sackcloth and, and sometimes, in some cases, with ashes as well. David practiced lament this way. Jacob did as well after he thought his son Joseph had died. First and second kings, they include all kinds of stories with, with sackcloth and ashes of, of kings who were lamenting. And in the series we finished a couple weeks ago through Jonah, we saw the entire community of Nineveh, from the king to the animals, practice lament and repentance this way. For generations, sackcloth and ashes were considered an outward sign of an inward trouble. 
So if you're coming to our Lenten prayer gathering this Wednesday, be sure to wear grubby clothes. We're we're not really going to put on burlap or cover ourselves in ashes. Um, But we are going to spend some time practicing lament, writing our own lament. About a third of the Psalms are considered laments, and they give us the, the, the perfect model for approaching God when we're in that, that moment where we just, ugh, ugh, and we have a complaint and we don't feel like there's anywhere to take it. So a, a lament, it begins with, with the simple addressing of God. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're reminded, we're reminded that there's someone on the other end of that cry. He's not just calling out in, into the thin air. He's not. He's not just shouting into a deep void. When we cry out to God, we aren't either. There's comfort in being able to reach out to the creator of our universe. A lament prayer isn't like one of those, those complaint boxes at a, a restaurant or, or in a store where you write something and you don't know if anybody's going to read it. That's not a lament. It's important that we remember that there's nothing too big or or too small to reach out about. And we don't have to articulate it all that clearly. Scripture reminds us that the Spirit intercedes when we don't have words, when we just say, but it all starts with just addressing God. Simple as, hey God, holy God, Father, Lord. And if we can get beyond that uh, groan, the Psalms invite us to list our complaints. In Psalm 13, the, the Psalm that we read earlier, David lists three of them. How long must I be alone in my thoughts? I know I've had that complaint sometimes. How long must I have sorrow in my heart? I've had that one too. And how long will my enemies triumph over me? Three complaints. And whether our complaints are the same as David's or not, sometimes the healthiest way to lament is to just sit down and write it all out. To to physically write it all out. And if you can't articulate that exact complaint, don't worry too much. One of the most important lessons from the Psalms is that most of the time, finding the language that captures our emotion or captures what we're, we're experiencing, it requires us to use metaphor, it requires us to use uh, analogy, sometimes it even requires us to use poetry. We might use a, a clinical word to describe what we're feeling. We might say something like, hey, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm exhausted. But we might also say something like, you know, it feels like I'm in a pit right now. My heart is racing. It's racing around inside of my chest. My energy is completely sapped like I've been poured out. However you articulate your complaint, whether it's a a list that just says, I'm anxious, or it's, it's more words like, my heart is racing in my chest. It's important that we get it out. 
then the Psalms teach us to, to request for help. An important part of our, our faith journey, we talk about this quite a bit here, is, is recognizing that we aren't alone on our faith journey. So we, we pair our complaint with a simple request. God, I've been alone in my thoughts for quite some time. How long are you going to leave me here? Can't you please give me an answer? Can't you please show up? How long are you going to leave me here? The request doesn't mean that God is going to answer the prayer exactly how we want. Ultimately, as we lay our request before God, we we need to remember that God is God and we are not. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he reminds us that prayers are not tools for doing or getting. Prayers are not tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Prayers are not tools for doing or getting. Prayers are tools for being and becoming. So as we list our requests, ultimately we're asking God to mold us and to shape us for God's purpose. We're asking for God's will to be realized in and through us. Which is why a lament psalm ends with ultimately expressing trust in God. It's the thy will be done part of the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done. So David ends Psalm 13 with, No matter what happens, I trust in your unfailing love. I'm singing your praises at the top of my lungs. He he goes from this top, How long, Lord? To starting to, Thank God, no matter what happens. How long, Lord? When are you going to show up, Lord? No matter what happens, I'm singing your praises. All in one prayer. It's a a pretty simple model that we we all can follow, and it doesn't have to be terribly long. This psalm is only six verses. Now, some of the psalms that are lament psalms are much, much longer. And sometimes we have a lot to lament about. So it can be a really, really short prayer, but it, it can be a really long prayer as well. And if you get stuck in this sort of prayer, maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you can't find that exact language. Remember that a third of the Psalms are laments. Turn to the Psalms. Flip through them. You can start with Psalm 13, but Psalm 11, Psalm 12, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, ultimately all laments. Flip through them. Remember that they're written by people like you and me who had experiences in life that they wrestled with. God invites us to share our whole selves with Him. And we can do that by reaching out, by by listing our complaint, through requesting for help, and remembering to trust God. Let's pray. Holy God, we know you are good, full of grace, full of truth. We know that you have a plan for our lives, but God, it doesn't always feel that way. There are times it feels like we're waiting forever for you to show up. Times we feel alone, times we feel confused, times we feel desperate. Lord, help us to be 
patient and honest with you. We love you, God. We trust that you are with us at all times and in all seasons. We pray these things in your name. Amen. When we come to this table every month, we bring what we're celebrating as well as what we're lamenting. We bring it all. We bring our whole selves to this table. We bring grateful hearts as well as our disappointment. Doubt and despair all at the same time. Recognizing that God sees us, that God loves us, and that God invites us to join with others around this table. Every month when we celebrate communion, we remind ourselves that this isn't our church's table. This isn't my table. This isn't Pastor Darrell's table. This isn't our denomination's table. That this is the Lord's table. So we come at the Lord's invitation. We'll be taking communion this morning by means of intention, which simply means you'll be walking down the aisle, taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the cup and then returning to your seat. We also have uh, individually packaged uh, communion sets. If you'd like the elements this way, you're welcome to pick them up. Although we do ask that this back basket of the individually packaged communion is reserved for those who have gluten uh, allergies. Uh, some of our Stephen ministers will be available to pray with you and for you. If you'd like, they will be over here. And they'll be offering anointing as well. And uh, one thing that we try to remind ourselves when we offer anointing is it's an ancient practice, a practice that's spoken of throughout Scripture, where we're essentially inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of what we uh, are going through in our own lives. So let's join together in prayer. Holy God, we, we thank you for this meal. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around it, to join with churches throughout this world as they celebrate as well. Lord, as we come together, we pray that you'd be honored, that you'd be glorified. We, we thank you for the elements that are here, for those who prepared them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.